1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of
0: America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Academic Life Channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Zebulon Davenport, and today we will be talking to Dr. Tia Brown-McNair. Vice President for Diversity, Equity and Student Success and Executive Director for Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation Campus Centers at the Association of American Colleges and University. And today we will be discussing her book From Equity Talk to Equity Walk, Expanding Practitioner Knowledge for Racial Justice in Higher Education. Tia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Zeb. Happy to be here. We're glad to have you. Um, first, I'd just like to ask you if you wouldn't mind telling the listening audience a bit about yourself.
1: Sure. So first, I just want to say, um, I the book is spun is written by two other people, two amazing people. So I want to acknowledge, as you said, my book, and it's really our book. So I want to acknowledge my co-authors, Estella ben Simone and Lindsay Malcolm-Picu, because it was definitely a collaborative effort. It is our brainchild, and I just wanted to make sure that I honor them as part of this work. So let me just say that first. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, no no problem, no problem. I I just like to make sure that we acknowledge all the contributors to this. So... I am right now, so my professional title is that I serve, as you, as you heard Zeb mention, and I as the Vice President for Diversity, Equity and Student Success and the TRHT Executive Director at the Association of American Colleges Universities, which is founded in 1915 and is located here in Washington, D.C., and I have worked there since 2010, and I've enjoyed the variations in my job assignment. It keeps me busy and engaged with teaching and learning and equity and diversity and inclusion work with many different institutions in, within the United States and also internationally as well. So I'm very fortunate and blessed to be challenged every day in my current job to have the opportunity to grow. And to expand my box, as my son's middle school, head of middle school tells him all the time, (laughs) it's important for you to not just be think outside the box, but to expand your box. Because when you expand your box, you're you're experiencing things that become part of who you are. And that's something that's fleeting. It's something that uh, contributes to your. So as I tell my son all the time, let's not think outside the box. Let's expand our box like your head of
0: middle school tells you. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Um, And thank you for thank you for telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, Now, a quick question for you, and this will start us off. Uh, Tell us what inspired you and your colleagues to write such an important book.
1: Well, let me just tell you, because Estella says this, we were doing another session together. And when I first asked her about writing this book, and I think it's something that we should do, she said no. (laughs) <laughs> she said, I don't have time to do this. And she says it all the time. She will tell people, no, I said, no, I'm not going to do this. But Lindsay and Estella and I um, were involved in a project, a joint project that was part of AEC and Centennial called Committee to Equity and Inclusive Excellence, um, Campus-Based Practices for Student and Strategies for Student Success. And in that particular project, we were... Partnered with the Center for Urban Education and really um, modifying and doing part of the work with the equity scorecard with these 13 institutions that were looking at equity and outcomes. And as we continued and progressed with our work with the campuses, we realized that they were situated where most institutions are, looking at just equity and student outcomes and then wanting to jump to interventions, um, looking at disaggregated data, all good things, all good pieces of the work. But when we got to the part about asking deeper questions about race and racism and racial inequities, the challenges started to appear at a deeper level. Because we realized that most institutions, and we had already become aware of this in our work, that most institutions struggle with identifying racialized practices and really asking the deeper questions about racial equity. And sometimes those conversations switch to socioeconomic status. Sometimes they switch to, well, I don't see race. I don't see ethnicity. I just teach content. You know, those common things that we talk about in the book that are obstacles. And most institutions are where we start off in the book. They are looking at disaggregated data, which we which we say is a first step in the process, and then they want to jump to, okay, well we have these equity gaps. Now look at these equity gaps, and we've got to do something about it. And then when they say do something about it, that means change the students and not necessarily change ourselves as educators or ch- think about what we need to do for our institutions. And since we, all of us in our work with institutions across the country and internationally as well, kept coming up with these same questions and same conversations kept happening, we said, okay, you know what, let's write something. Let's talk about this. Let's use case examples. Let's write a practice practice-oriented book that will hopefully help people as they're struggling with this. And let's be straightforward. Let's be straight shooters about some of the challenges that we're experiencing and let's challenge them to really push beyond their mission and vision statements for DEI, which we also talk about in the book, because almost every institution that we've worked with, they have those grandiose a- aspirational goals for DEI. But then when we work with them and say, OK, well, how does this translate in practice, in practice when you see equity gaps? Well, that's when it got more difficult. So we really said, Les, we're going to meet you where, we, where you are. We're going to acknowledge you. We're not going to tell you that that part of the process is unnecessary because it is. But how do we keep expanding? I mean, you, you see this theme with expansion for me. <laughs> we, how do we keep expanding our knowledge, expanding our knowledge in relationship to the work for racial justice? And with Estella, if, or if you're any, what, familiar, any way familiar with her work, um, you know that she was talking about racial equity when everybody else was talking about diversity, and she has been a mentor and guide to so many of us who are doing this work right now. That how could we not address this? I mean, her work and being able to have her as a mentor and a guide in this definitely valuable. She she gave me a gift of being the lead author. She, I mean, really, we've all been influenced by her. So I want to call that out. I just want to call that out.
0: Okay, well, you know, and and it's really interesting. And and, and first of all, that uh, you actually answered my first question or the first question when we begin to talk about topical issues. So I'm going to ask it, and then I'm going to just paraphrase what you've shared back. And if I've missed anything, uh, I'd ask you to just. Let the listening audience know you know what, may, what I may have missed. But, but my first question was going to be, why is this conversation, this topic, so important in higher education and why now? And so let me just tell you what I heard. Uh, and then if I've missed anything, I'd, I'd ask you to just add where I've missed. But you talked about um, having conversations around racialized practices and really calling out the issue of race. Um, and using disaggreg- people, institutions were using disaggregated data uh, or not using disaggregated data and pushing beyond the goals of DEI and really starting to talk about not changing the students, but looking at changing the institutional practices. Yes.
1: And and the, the reason why, like I said, we wrote this book was because many institutions struggled with that part. So those pieces that you just identified, they were struggling with how do we identify racialized practices within our own work and, and our routine practices that we do on a daily basis with our students, with each other? How are we honest? What's the truth telling piece? How, what's our narrative on equity at our institutions? Most institutions do disaggregate data And we want to encourage that. That is exactly where you need to be. But some institutions think that that's the end point. That's the starting point, not the end point. So disaggregation of data is very, very important in this process for addressing equity, but it's not the end goal. And it's not the end outcome. I mean, for us to really focus in on why those inequities exist, what, how is it influencing those outcomes? How are, how, it, how are our own how's our own understanding of race and racism influencing the outcomes that we're seeing, the, the equity gaps? We have to start asking deeper questions about that and not just focusing on, OK, well, we've got to do something to fix the students so that we can close these equity gaps. That's not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is like oh, we need to look at the institutional environment and we need to improve it for the students that we are educating right now. And the reality is, is that most of these institutions were not designed, and I say this all the time, they were not designed to educate the students we have today. They were designed many, many years ago for students who were from the majority group at that time. And we have to actually say, okay, well, what does this mean for the ways that we're educating our students right now and who they are and how their identities contribute to the wealth of our environment. The, the, um, the, the assets that they bring are so important to a diverse learning experience. I mean, and not only for for us, but for them too. I mean, to be able to engage with people from diverse backgrounds, for, with diverse ideas across the board, we want that we want that
0: in our system. So that's that's part of what I was talking about. And so I'm gonna get, I have a question, a few questions in, and, and I'm going to use the analogy of turning the Titanic. So we'll come back to this point more specifically, but I, I really want to, um, you know, this, first of all, if you, if for the listening audience, if you haven't gotten this book, I would certainly uh, encourage folks to pick this up it's a great read. It's dense. It's not long, but it's dense, and there's a lot, a lot to be considered. And one of the things that I noticed, Tia, right from the very beginning, you all start by asking the questions like, "What does uh, equity mean? And equity for whom? What does it entail in thought and in action?" What does it mean to perform equity as a routine practice in higher education? And most importantly, what makes individuals equity minded? And so I just if you don't mind, can you spend a little bit of time breaking breaking some of that down for us?
1: Yeah. So when we do our work and and I just finished a project with 20 community colleges where we were having this discussion here about the importance of clarity in the terms of equity and diversity and belonging, whatever terms that your institution, justice, anti-racism, whatever it is that they're they're utilizing as a key force that aligns with their or key driving force that aligns with their values is important for you. To have an understanding of that, those mean and the meaning behind those words, because the way that you understand them, and your own sense making, your own funds of knowledge, as I say all the time, those elements are going to translate into your practice. And if you don't have a clear understanding of how you are defining equity and how that applies to what you do on a day-to-day basis, then you're going to be struggling because most and what we find, and this happens constantly, I was just doing a report yesterday, working on a report yesterday, is that most people interchange equity, equality, diversity, justice, and they don't think about it at a deeper level. And so we say in the book that equity is a form of corrective justice, equity is an anti-racist effort, and equity addresses the normalization of whiteness within our, our institutions. And when we're talking, that's how we define it. We also talk a lot about equity, um, and how it aligns with all these various terminologies that we have. And what does this mean for understanding that our students are coming to us with varied levels of of preparation? We know that we understand that because we understand the historical, social, cultural, and political constructs that have created environments where inequities exist. And so we know that our students are coming to us with different needs, different aspirations across the board. It's our responsibility from an equity perspective, if we're thinking about it as corrective justice, to figure out what they need so that we can actually give them every opportunity or provide a learning environment where they have every opportunity to succeed. So you can see how it's connected to the concept of equality, but it still means that some may be getting varied levels of support. And we're not taking anything away from any from someone to give to someone else. We're just saying we know that everyone's not the same. We understand the diversity within our student population. We understand why the inequities exist. Yeah. And now it's our yeah.
0: responsibility to address them. Hmm. So so basically what you just described was is a you just answered another question and and that question is that's okay no you know this makes it so easy to have this conversation because it's flowing so smoothly but but the question that I was going to ask is what does it mean to perform equity as a routine practice in higher education and and you, you kind of alluded to that, and, and that is about providing opportunity and access for individuals. And it may not be the same for everybody, but it mm-hmm. takes work to make sure that it is equitable for everyone in the in, in in the institution. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. And we have to make sure because we the tendency is that when we understand equity as corrective justice, we look at that as correcting the students. And not correcting ourselves or correcting our institutions. And so when we're talking about this, we're not saying that the responsibility should be uh, solely on the students. So the responsibility also requires us. I'm, I'm a big believer in reciprocal engagement. I believe that students need to be, become ready, you know, inter-institutions, ready to engage in the learning environment and willing participants right in their in their learning experience I, I definitely believe in that I mean I value that but I also know that many of our many of the things that we do in education our routine practices um, the way sometimes that we educate our students those things they may not have evolved <laughs> over many many years I mean unfortunately I have worked with with um, educators, and I've heard of educators across the country that haven't changed their courses or updated their course content in many, many years. I've also heard of those on the other end that are doing everything they possibly can to try to make sure that they are engaged in culturally responsive teaching practices so you you have one spectrum you have the other spectrum we need to meet somewhere in the middle because i i I mean i used to teach first year english so i can't even imagine if somebody came to me and said you have to totally re re um do your course yeah but but there are things what we do know from our own research is that there are things that we can do that will integrate what we've learned about what promotes student engagement what promotes learning how to make it relevant based on students lived experience how I mean really how how are you improving the learning environment for our students which means you don't have to totally overhaul everything but should we be thinking about continuous improvement
0: yes absolutely yes we should be doing that keep going. I'm loving this. I'm just agreeing with you. And and here's the funny thing, like, I'm sitting here, and I've I've got these questions. But then once you start talking, I just lose it, because I'm so engulfed with what you're saying. So I I appreciate uh, your, your, your approach. One of the things that that uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask some questions that I know people might want to ask. But sometimes folks are afraid to ask, right? So for example, In your opinion, what makes individuals equity-minded?
1: Well, so that's a big question. And Estella wrote so well about this, I think, in the book. So first of all, you have to realize it's not going to happen overnight. It is not going to be where, oh, I want to be an equity-minded practitioner. And now, because I understand what equity-mindedness is, I'm going to be able to translate and practice. It takes practice. It takes repeated practice, repeated engagement with what it means to be race conscious. What does it mean to actually be able to identify and address racialized practices? Um, It it takes you actually studying and really understanding the environment, doing that deeper level of inquiry that is required for the reflection that's necessary to really have an influence on our own sense-making and our own institutional culture and practices. So, I mean, I, I, that's something she's always talked to us about is that people think, oh, well, I read this piece and now I'm gonna be equity-minded. No, you, we're all on the journey. I consider myself as someone who understands equity-mindedness and, and who does a lot of work, obviously, with truth, racial healing and transformation and with identifying racial equity and thinking about institutional transformation and building capacity. And I'm still on the journey. I'm still <laughs> discovering you know, new things. I'm still learning. And I think people, just like we focus on our disciplines and, and, and becoming experts in that particular capacity, we have to approach this work all the, in the same way. I remember Sean Harper, when he was keynoting our, one of our, I think it was the last AACNU meeting that was in person. And he said, I'm telling you, you have to approach this just like you would do any research project, any work that you would do for your disciplinary. He goes, one of the things that, and I remember him saying this, and was so powerful. He goes, one of the things that bothers me so much is when people come up to me and say, "Well, I'm a, I'm a STEM faculty member, so." What is it that you want me to read about for diversity and equity? And I'm like, that is exactly true. And I say that all the time because that's true. I don't know how many times I've had people come up to me and say, what should I be reading? What should I be reading to do this to do this work? Or if you had to advise me, what would you advise me to do? And they want me to, out of the blue, just name everything that they should be doing so quickly within a short time period they can say that they're knowledgeable and experts on this. And I said, well, wait a minute, you've got to understand that people actually study this. (laughs) Just like they're disciplinary, this is a disciplinary area as well. And you want me out of the blue, well, what's your topic? What what are you interested in? There's so many ways to do DEI work and to think about justice and to think about anti-racism. And you just want me to list out what, what you should be reading. And I'm like, well, I can tell you what I'm reading, but that doesn't mean that that's where you are in the process. So people do this all the time. And I'm, and, I mean, I just, I mean, I just want to be honest with you. I had a call somebody the other day, and they were saying the same thing. Well, we want you to advise us, tell us what we should be doing. I'm like, well, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so, and, and, and I'm sure you hear this quite a lot. Well, and, and in fact, I, I am very busy with the work that I have to do in teaching students and, and working with students, I, I I don't have time to do all this other work. So maybe you can say, like, tell me why it's important for me to do the other work, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's what I think that, why is this important to you? I mean, and I think that's a good question, Zeb. I think that's an excellent question, is that the next time somebody asks me this, I won't look at them and be like, what? I'll, I'll say, why is this important to you? You tell me what about this work is motivating to you, that inspires you, that challenges you, and then maybe I can give you some guidance on something to read. But just like you would do a, a lit search for anything else, you should do a lit search for this.
0: Right. Well, th- now I'm going to switch this for, for a minute. Huh? You talk quite a lot in the book, you all, and you identify obstacles blocking the path toward racial equity. And um, again, I, as I said, there's so many pieces that we can draw from. But one of the things that I, I'd like to ask you to tell us about is what do you mean when you, when you mention racially coded language? And if you could also then provide an example of how this plays out in higher education.
1: Yeah, so that was one of the things, one of the very first things that I learned from Estella and Alicia Dowd and colleagues at the Center for Urban Education when I was participating in one of their institutes. They used to have um, the Ash Equity Institutes, and we were having this discussion about why it's so important for us to not use terminology just and stop at underrepresented or minoritized students or, I mean, minority students at that time, because it groups everyone together in this, what we think is this one identity group, and that's not the reality. So what we're saying is is that say no to racially coded language and actually identify Black, Latinx, Asian-American, you know, indigenous peoples. I mean, just across the world, keep breaking it down, having that disaggregation of data so that you can really understand, okay, which groups, are experiencing inequities. And even that isn't the end-all be-all because there's diversity obviously within those identity areas. So what we're saying is that most institutions, when they were disaggregating data, it was white or underrepresented minorities. It's white or minority students or white and um, socioeconomic. I mean, it's it's just across the board, it was being done like that. And we're saying, say no to racially coded language, because when you're saying upper underrepresented, you're saying, okay, well, then those are our all of our minoritized students, our racially minoritized students. So we started at ASCU using the term underserved. And even Estelle gives me some grief about underserved. So I just want to say that too. Because I say, well, the reason why we use underserved is because then it's the responsibility of the institution to identify who is underserved at their institution. And that could be a lot of
0: different students from multiple identity groups. Um, and this other and not, not, just who, yeah. not just who, but then also what are the aspects that we are not serving them in a way or means that we should be, correct?
1: Exactly. And that's, and it expands the conversation. And then we're saying, you know, don't just stop at underserved, identify exactly what you just said, Zeb, you know, what does that mean for us? What what aspects are we underserving our students? Who are we underserving? How are we underserving them? What can be done about it? And then identify specifically who those students are, who, the, who those educators may be. Because I mean, this isn't just student oriented. It is also oriented towards the people that work at the institution, the people who are engaged in the learning process. So I think that those are good questions for us to to keep remembering that you can't lump people together. You have to do some additional work and that's across all identity groups, not just one. I mean, we have to look at intersectionality. We have to think about our diverse, the, the, the experience of our, of our diverse student and what that means in a very expansive way and not just by race and ethnicity. And I think that it's important for us to do the same for the people who are contributing to the learning environment at our institution, the ones that are leading it and designing it as well.
0: Well, you know, and you mentioned earlier, you talked about learning being a two way street or multiple, multiple ways, right? Not just one way. And and um, I'm going to skip down to another obstacle that you all mentioned in the book. And you talked about seeing racial inequities as deficiencies right? And so it'd be interesting if you could talk a little bit about what you mean when you talked about seeing racial inequities as deficiencies.
1: Yeah, you know, so many times, and, and I heard a student, and we did this in one of our um, focus groups that my colleague Ashley Philly and I were doing for our publication, assessing underserved student engagement in high impact practices. And we were at an institution And the students were talking and it was a mix, a diverse mix of students by race, you know, gender, socioeconomic, what we could collect, information that we collected from them, their self-reported information and how they appeared to us and or how they presented to us. And they said, I remember this one young woman saying, you know, you don't have to tell me or remind me constantly that I came from an environment that was under resourced. I know that. And I understand that. And I get that. What I'm asking you to do is to not judge me by it and to actually help me because I'm here now because I don't remember, And she got very emotional. She was crying. My colleague and I were trying not to cry. As soon as she walked out of the room, we broke, broke, broke down. <laughs> because it was, it was so powerful. Her talking about how she doesn't need to be reminded. She just, needs you to help her. And I think that we have to understand that our students get that they may not have had um, all of the opportunities that other students who are coming from more privileged backgrounds have had. Um, That's the reality of it. She kept saying, don't remind me of that. I get it. You don't have to tell me that, but you admitted me to basically to this institution, so I need you to help me. So that's why we're saying that let's not take someone's academic deficiency and, and 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 say that that defines them. Let's understand why they exist. And once we admit them to our institution, we've made a commitment to their success. We made a commitment to them to support them. And they don't need to be reminded of that every single time that That's part of who they are. They get it. They understand that.
0: They just want us to give them the support and the supports necessary to succeed. And we have an obligation to provide them the tools and the support that they need to successfully matriculate into, through, and out of the institution. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let me, let me, let me, let me, now I'm going to switch again because I said I would come back to this. Um, And, you know, institutions are huge and many have long standing traditions and customs. And so the question I have is how in the world can we begin to turn this thing around in higher education? As I said earlier, it's like turning the Titanic. So what are some first steps that people can take to begin to have an impact at their institution?
1: Well, I, I always go back to what, you know, Audrey Lord said, yes, we do have customs and we have traditions but the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And if you think about applying that, what she was saying was so powerful into, yes, we can appreciate and understand customs and traditions, but those customs and traditions were based on hierarchy, based on privilege, based on systems that were not fully promoting equality of access and opportunities to everyone and we have to understand that and we have to be willing to say, okay, we we understand and, and appreciate history, we understand of this institution, we understand these values and these traditions, but those values and traditions may not reflect who we are today and they may not be welcoming to the students that we know are going to be coming to through our the, at our to our institutions that are going to be entering our classrooms coming through our classroom doors uh, participating online and not being figuratively about the right, uh, not yeah, the right. physical door but just, whether they are doing it online whether yes. they're doing it hybrid whether they're doing it in person however they're doing it and engaging in post-secondary education we have to understand that our job our job is to create learning environments and assess those learning environments that for everyone to succeed in And when we see equity gaps, and we say this in the book, it is a sign that something that we have designed and implemented isn't working as intended. So that means we have to start looking deeper at ourselves, the way we execute these programs, the way that we create barriers, the way that we create access, the way that we reward students for their participation, however it is, whatever way we're doing it, we have to say, OK, what does this mean for the students that we're educating? Today?
0: You know, this is a great conversation. And, and I I know we, we need to wrap up soon. Um, I have I have two last questions. And one is uh, what is the most important thing that you hope someone will take away from reading this text? <sighs> Oh, the
1: one thing, that's a hard question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, I know, right? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard, yeah, that's a hard. How about I prime it with this? After reading this book, I was inspired um, to begin to look deeply, um, not only at who I am as a practitioner, as an administrator, but also at policies and practices at this institution. And so it just inspired me to think about things, as you mentioned earlier, expanding my box, not just thinking outside of the box. And I I personally took that away from from this text.
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, is that I just wanna give, I wanna acknowledge, like I said, I wanna acknowledge my son's middle school, the head of middle school at my son's school that says that is what he challenges. He was having a conversation with our parents and saying, this is how I see education here. And this is how I see our, our educational experiences. And that, like I said, just like you said, it resonated with you. It resonated with me too. And I think that the book is honest. I think that it doesn't um, hold back in what we have seen and what we continue to experience. Is there much more that can be said? Yes, I, I completely believe in that. I, I think that, You have to take this book, just like we said in the very first thing, this equity journey is your journey, it's about you. You have to go through this book first with a self-assessment and thinking about where you are in this process so that you can contribute to the greater good at your institution. And I want everyone to not jump to the quick fix because that is what's gotten us here right now is that we think that there's a quick fix because of external pressures, internal pressures. Let's close that equity gap. Let's get to the quick fix. Well, there's no quick fix when you're dealing with years and years and years of historical um, hierarchy and discrimination and, and deeply embedded racialized practices within our systems, especially when you can't recognize it. So that's, that's something that I would take away.
0: All right. Well, listen, uh, uh, Dr. Tia Brown-McNair, it has been my pleasure, my privilege, and my honor speaking with you today. And I want to thank you for being on the show and sharing your thoughts and insights regarding the book from Equity Talk to Equity Walk, expanding practitioner knowledge for racial justice in higher education. I wanna say this to you, uh, this conversation was so smooth and so easy that you know we could go on and on and on and maybe we should try to come back for a second segment and talk more because again, folks, this is a great book. It's very rich, a lot of detail, uh, and it has a lot of thought-provoking ideas, concepts for us to consider as practitioners, educators in higher education. I am Dr. Zebulon Davenport. This is The Academic Life and you've been listening to New Books Network. Please join us again. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate it.
1: You're welcome.